you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm Tommy Vitor. And I'm Aaron Ryan. Aaron, it's great to see you. Listeners are probably wondering, where's that other guy? Where's that one John or the other one named John? Listeners, I'm going to level with you. Pod Save America, we're playing hurt today. Uh, love it's <laughs> feeling sick. Favreau is under the weather. I'm going to spare you the details. Uh, but Aaron and I are going to be your host for today. So please be excited about that. I'm excited for it. Did you watch that soccer game the other week where they had to do a shootout and it went through the entire roster and the goalie had to shoot out? I love that. Yeah. I'm essentially the goalie of the team. Like you have worked down the entire roster. No, 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 no. Aaron, I want to tell you another story about another team that played hurt. Uh, This was September 23rd, 2001, week two of the NFL season. (laughs) <laughs> New York Jets linebacker Mo Lewis hit Patriots quarterback Drew Bledsoe so hard that his lung collapsed. He was out for the season. And into the breach stepped a young Tom Brady. So congratulations. <laughs> You're now married to Giselle and you that's, have seven Super Bowl rings. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my hands did feel weird coming in. I thought it was just like arthritis because that runs in my family. But it was all the rings on <laughs> my fingers. The invisible Super Bowl rings that are in Giant rings. So yeah, we got a lot of sports metaphors for you today. Um, we have a lot to cover. Also, listen to Hysteria, Aaron's fantastic podcast. If you don't. Thank you. You're only hurting yourself is, is you. what I tell people about Hysteria. Um, here's what we got today. The country and the world has been totally focused on Ukraine. So we're going to start somewhere else because Republicans have not slowed down their efforts to pass legislation attacking the LGBT community uh, and the ongoing assault against Roe and a woman's right to choose that is happening in states across the country. And it's super fucked up and we should talk about it more. And Aaron and I are going to have some fun talking about all the problems that Republicans are having with technology these days, including uh, some battles with Zoom over the weekend. Don't let that get in the way of a geopolitical crisis, your uh, your mute button. And then Donald Trump's new social media site, Truth Social. I don't know. Have you, have you tried Truth Social? No. 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 No No plans to either. No. It's not, uh, not working too well uh, here. And then I'm going to interview MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan about Ukraine, the treatment of refugees, what about as been foreign policy, uh, oil prices, maybe having to do more work with the Saudis. So stick around for that. Uh, and before we get to the news... Please make sure you subscribe to Offline with John Favreau. Offline is all grown up. It's moving over to its own feed. Uh, so it's not on the Pod Save America feed anymore. So you have to subscribe separately if you want to hear it. And you do because this week, John interviews Kara Swisher, who's really one of the, the best hangs in the podcasting space, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. She's an awesome hang. Like, her podcasts are just great hangs. They're just good. And also, she's also one of those guests who, like, you're a little scared of and it keeps you on your toes. 
uh-huh. which is the right place to be with Kara. Uh-huh. The other week I listened to a Kara Swisher interview before I did a, a Hysteria podcast, and I was afraid listening. I was like, she is coming for me, and I can't sidestep this woman. No, you cannot. She famously made uh, Mark Zuckerberg sweat through his hoodie on stage, and he had to get up and take it off. Ooh. So that was tough. What a claim to fame. I would get I would get that as like collarbone tattoo. <laughs> I would too, I would too. Anyway, they talk about uh, the war in Ukraine, how it's being fought on the internet, and why President Zelensky of Ukraine is such a compelling online hero. So subscribe to Offline with John Favreau. Okay. So Aaron, we're taping this on Monday afternoon. The Florida Senate is currently debating this don't say gay bill in the legislature. That would prohibit the discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in Florida classrooms. Um, it's part of this broader trend where Republicans are focusing on laws targeting schools, targeting students. For example, Iowa recently became the 11th state in two years to pass a law limiting transgender students' ability to participate in school sports. Oof. And yeah, and it's also like it's a deliberate political strategy. This guy, David Carney, who's an advisor to Texas Governor Greg Abbott, recently told reporters that attacking transgender youth is a, quote, winning issue. Good That's guy. so, gross. When, so I, gross. when I saw that quote. I, I like wretched. Uh, you're just like, you're a horrible person. You're, yeah. you're, you're attacking children to score political points. Um, also, you know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, spokeswoman, said something similarly horrible, tweeting that the Don't Say Gay Bill's critics should more accurately describe the bill as an anti-grooming bill. So basically saying people who don't like the bill, if you're against the anti-grooming bill, you're probably a groomer, was her quote. So she's accusing people who don't like this bill of grooming children. Like a dog groomer? Oh, a child groomer. <laughs> yeah, like uh, QAnon light. Uh. So disgusting stuff. We're both horrified. Um, I- I'm just trying to imagine, Aaron, like just staying on this Don't Say Gay bill in Florida, like how this kind of works in practice. The bill is supposed to be targeted at primary school students. So that's supposed to be kindergarten through third grade. But I guess the language is written in such a vague way that it could be interpreted more broadly. But what I'm trying to figure out is like, okay, it's forbidding discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in this classroom in a way that isn't age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. And if that happens, the parents can sue the school district. Like, how does this work in practice? You, you, parents are going to sue a teacher if a little kid is like, ask you a question about what it means to be gay. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, when I when I hear about bills like this, I think my first thought is, why is it sex ed? Why does it constitute something that's not age appropriate if it's gay people, but not if we're talking about straight relationships? Because sex ostensibly occurs within the context of both. So like, (laughs) why why is one vulgar and and one not vulgar? Um, Second thing is, here's something I was thinking about as I was kind of holistically looking at the show for today. Um, You know, you can care about multiple things at once, right? But you do have a finite amount of time. As a state legislator, as a governor, you have a finite amount of time as you are in charge of the people of your state. And for every bill that gets taken up, there's other bills that are not taken totally. up. It's called the opportunity cost. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes when we talk about these bills, we should talk about them. We should get into what they're doing. We should also think what aren't these state governments doing? Mm -hmm. So in Florida, for example, there's a huge uh, affordable housing crisis. Mm -hmm. What aren't what what aren't Republicans in Florida doing for actual yeah. Floridians? And how many Floridians are they actually helping by attacking trans kids? And when you frame it that, that way, apartment building that collapsed. Yeah, we should maybe work on that. Yeah. yeah also, you know, there's cost. insurance companies that are refusing to insure Florida homeowners now mm-hmm. uh, because of 
the stuff, yeah. uh, environmental Climate stuff. Change, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that the state is going to be underwater in 20, 30 years. Um, there's all of these things that are affecting Floridians right now that state lawmakers could be taking up, but instead they are taking this on. And, you know, before we get into the nuts and bolts of about what the bill actually does, let's keep that in mind. Like as we talk, they're not they're not fixing the housing crisis in Florida. They are not uh, fixing the healthcare crisis. They have a shortage of healthcare workers in Florida in an aging population right after a mass disabling event, COVID. There are more people with long-term disabilities now than we have any idea about. What is Florida doing about that? Nothing. Nothing. This is what the fuck they're doing. They're making it so parents can sue school districts if teachers talk about Heather has two mommies. <laughs> right. And, and Mike, look, it's been a while since I've been in primary school, but my memory of it is that there's always some kid with an older brother or an older sister who knows more about sex stuff than everybody else. Yes. But it's probably not a the full picture. It's probably inaccurate. But if like little, you know, Billy the bad kid says that like gay people come from dinosaur eggs, the teacher can't correct him in that moment. You can't have a conversation. You can't uh, like explain what the concept means to a child. That is insane. But you can explain the concept of sex itself. To your point, I mean... None of this makes any sense on the merits in terms of like what a kid needs to know to go through the world. Right. Every child is evidence that their parents had sex. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Almost every child, unless it was an IVF situation. But there's a miracle out there. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> Immaculate conceptions Jesus. all over Florida. Wow. We might be getting to the heart of it there. Yeah, yeah. right. It, it's it's so it's so stupid <laughs> because um it's it's so obviously an attention grab. It's so obviously a ploy for Ron DeSantis to get on Fox News mm-hmm. uh, without doing anything, without fixing anything, um, and without making life better for anybody. No, making making it a lot worse for low-paid teachers who don't want to get sued. How much further can teachers be pushed? Uh, That's truly. a question I have. In Florida, in Texas, they are just punching bags for lawmakers and and look this is this is me putting on my please feminism tinfoil hat but i also think there's like a sexism to it there's a sexism to or to ordering a, a profession that's 75% female to do the bidding of governments that are you know 80% male right. 80% straight white dude and you you're I, I, it's it makes me really mad my mom was a teacher for a really long time she's a high school principal now my sister's a teacher got a lot of teachers in my family teachers are made of tough stuff they're good people. They care about their kids. Um, and this, we keep beating up on them. And and people like Ron DeSantis keep using them to score points yep. for people, you know, who, who probably did the worst in school. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, look, I had so many friends who were teachers and it's definitely like the one job that I know that I probably couldn't do well, at least because it requires so much work and so much patience. And to your point about like the opportunity cost, like it is a political strategy. The, the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote a piece about how 2022 is poised to become the year of the most anti-LGBTQ legislation in the United States. And again, like it's so much of it is targeted at kids. Yeah. And that's what's sort of so dark about this. You have dozens of state legislatures that are passing or working to pass laws that would limit transgender students' ability to participate or use, you know, play in sports or use bathrooms. You've got Texas investigating and threatening to prosecute the parents of transgender and non-binary kids. And, like, it's just so hard to step back and think, okay, let me look at what the past year we've been talking about. It's been critical race theory in classrooms, and now it's this stuff. And so what's clear is what Republicans want to do and talk about for the foreseeable future is to 
target gay kids and literally create ways to punish their parents, punish their teachers. And they think that's a winning political strategy. And that's mm -hmm. just a really dark kind of thing to know about the country and their mentality for me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like behind this is the assumption that everywhere is Euphoria High School and these kids <laughs> need some help. But really, that's not the day-to-day -day lives of most kids. And most kids that are LGBT, um, are it's hard enough to be a kid that's LGBTQ, especially in a, in a place that's not that's inhospitable to them. It's it's really it's rough and it's gross. And I, I hate the fact that it's strategy. It makes me feel ill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's creating mental health problems for kids. You know, I have a friend who lives in one of these states that's being targeted uh, and has a, uh, a non-binary child. And to feel like you are doing everything possible for your kid. You are just trying to help them succeed and live and thrive in this world. And all of a sudden the state is saying, oh, you could be investigated. Mm -hmm. Oh, you could be prosecuted for loving your kid. I mean, I just can't even imagine like the rage I would feel as a parent. Right. And another thing that drives me nuts about this is um, I was listening to a, uh, a Florida public radio broadcast about the Florida bill. And they had a Republican on the Florida public radio broadcast talking about the, the bill. And he was downplaying it left and right. He was saying, oh, all this does is simply establish age appropriate, blah, 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 blah. And these people are just giving it a bad faith read. Here's the thing. The law is deliberately written to leave room for Republicans to sell it to us, like used car salesmen. Mm -hmm. We're just protecting kids, but leaving room for the worst possible interpretation. Right. And like Democrats are right to bring up the worst. Hey, this is what the door is open for. Yeah. And Republicans, it, it's so they're, they're, they're so slimy. They are selling one thing, knowing that what is at the root of it is the potential to be this this like Trojan horse of yeah. of hate and and harm. And one other thing that I that I saw as I was getting ready for the show is um, mandating that teachers report to parents if children yeah. are using uh, choosing to use they them pronouns or, or pronouns that are different than the gender that they were assigned at birth. That endangers kids. Yeah. Um. And you know there was a Florida teacher. I was reading an interview with a Florida teacher who said they didn't know of any teacher that would do that. I don't think teachers will comply no. if they know that they're going to put their kids in danger by telling their parents that, hey, your your child is now they them. It's it's just they're not going to comply. It's just such a, a, a horrible thing to, to force a teacher to do. Um, last thing just to, uh, on this issue was this quote from DeSantis's spokesperson that this bill is about grooming kids. Um, it's just so messed up and it's so dangerous to like say, oh, if you support gay rights, you're a pedophile. It's also not remotely new in terms of a political strategy. I was reading a book recently that talked about the fight for gay rights in Florida in the 1970s. And there was mm -hmm. this famous singer, you know, Anita Bryant. Yes, she was wild. <laughs> She's a horrible person. She was the wacky horrible. Awful, awful person. Terrible. She was um, a spokesperson for the Citrus Council. So she was like the face of big orange juice. Oh, more like shitress. There you go. I oh, like God, that a lot. So stupid. <laughs> cut, cut that. So Anita Bryant led this campaign in Florida to repeal an ordinance that prohibited discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, right? Like something that just seems like it's obvious. And she did this same exact demagoguery. She called it the Save Our Children campaign and accused gays and lesbians of trying to, quote, recruit our children. And what, you know, that history tells me is we are fighting the same fight over and over and over again. And it's not going to go away. And we're not going to grow out of this shit. Like, we just have to win. Yeah.
I mean, time is a flat circle or a downward spiral. <laughs> Still circular, but just descending. Where are you in that binary right now? Is it a flat, flat circle or downward spiral? I think, it, I think it's a downward spiral at this moment. Yeah. I feel pretty spiraling, too. I feel like I'm spiraling. Uh, not great. Uh, a quote that, that I picked out um, on as I was reading about this, I was reading about the, the Texas law. Um, and this is the thing that I found really insidious. Uh, there was a a lawyer who represents some of these families, and uh, he said, the number of people who have called me has exponentially increased, and the common thread is that everybody feels terrorized. Jeez. So regardless of whether or not these bills are going to be enforced, be enacted, like if CPS is going to investigate trans kids' families in Texas, or if teachers are going to out their students to parents in Florida, the fear and the terror that these people are experiencing is real. And it's almost like that's the point. Yeah, it is almost like that's the point. I totally agree. Um, uh, another issue that, you know, has gotten a lot of focus from conservatives is uh, abortion rights and abortion access. And, you know, a lot of abortion rights activists believe that by July, the Supreme Court will have overturned Roe versus Wade and, and the constitutional right to an abortion in the interim. Uh, a lot of Republican state legislatures are passing a flurry of laws to make abortion illegal in as many ways or circumstances as possible, right? There's the uh, bills banning abortion after 15 weeks, 12 weeks, six weeks, 30 days. Um, there's the Texas bounty law that would allow, you know, private citizens to go after people who, you know, the Uber driver who drives a woman to the location where she gets an abortion, trigger laws. Um, just to step back a bit, I mean, how would you describe the status of abortion rights in the United States at this moment in time? Uh, well, endangered, uh, very much endangered. And, you know, the first episode of Hysteria recorded on the day that Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement from the Supreme Court, and Oof. that was in 2018. And on that day, Alyssa Mastromonaco and I said to each other, Roe is over. Like it has been like it has been on the road to over for a long time. And I think that right now it's just the oh shit moment. People mm -hmm. are finally realizing that the can cannot be kicked any further down the road. The can is at the end of the road and this is happening. The 15 week abortion bans that that lawmakers are passing in Florida and other places basically would put them in line with Mississippi's proposed abortion law, which is the one that is at mm -hmm. the center of the case that's the, right, that right. We'll, we'll hear about in, in the end of June or early July. And it's just, you know, it, it it's once again, women, once again, people who can get pregnant are being used as bargaining chips in this culture war. I just wonder, once this happens, I really don't think it'll not any... I don't think anything will ever be enough for these people. I think that 15-week ban will happen, and then 10 years from now, it's going to be a, a six-week ban that makes makes it to the Supreme Court, and then there's going to be people going after IVF, frozen embryos. You know, if if a if a child and an embryo are exactly the same, then if an if a then if a fertility clinic was on fire and a two-year-old was trapped in there, you would save a tray of frozen embryos instead of the child. Everybody knows that an embryo is not the same as a human being, but lawmakers would like to make laws acting as though they are. And it, it's just the thing that really makes me crazy about this is the same places that are making it really difficult to access abortion care, the people at the forefront of just shitting all over people with uteruses. Um, they're also the ones making it super inhospitable to be a parent. Like what safety net is there in Texas? 
You know, what safety net is there in Florida? And people like Greg Abbott, people like Ron DeSantis are still running on platforms of making life more difficult for people who don't have abortions. So and the state of Texas, famously terrible foster system, like egregiously horrible foster care system and child protective services. And so essentially, you know, we're, we have these laws that are building to an America where, where children are born into situations where their parents can't possibly take care of them. They either enter the foster care system or are put up for adoption and they become just like fodder for, for even more like layers upon layers of culture war. And, and it, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's well, gross. In the, the slippery slope argument you outlined, you outlined like, there are women who are being prosecuted or thrown in jail for having miscarriages. Yes. You know, I yes. mean, there's no discussion of intent here. There is just penalizing people for things that happen in their body that they can't control. Right. And another thing we need to think about is the number of hospitals in this country that are run by religious institutions and therefore can refuse care to people that are seeking medical care. In Ireland, I want to say six or seven years ago, a woman who was having septic shock, I believe, because she was miscarrying, uh, went to a hospital. She went to a Catholic hospital, was turned away and died. You know, like doctors don't want to get in trouble with their employers by providing anything that could be construed as abortion care. Uh, a religious employer probably has a, a right to draw lines about what care they're going to provide or not provide. Catholic hospitals won't provide abortion care. It's, it's I and another thing is that that rural hospitals across the country are closing mm -hmm. and being consolidated and eaten up yeah, by these yeah. religious institutions. We are moving toward a future where the only people, the only women, the only pregnant people who will be able to access abortion care are going to be affluent women living in American cities, large American cities, or perhaps the mistresses of Congress people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who was the guy who was dating like the ISIS bride? How was that a one day story? Yeah. What about what about the, the Re guy? Republican congressman? What about the Republican who is from, I think, Ohio or Pennsylvania who got his mistress pregnant and tried to force her to have an abortion, or maybe it's Kentucky. I, honestly, I lose count because they're such fucking hypocrites and this stuff happens there should, We should make like baseball cards of them right. and trade them. Right. Be like, remember this guy? <laughs> like Bush did with Saddam. What are we talking? Are we talking about the guy that, that locked a woman in a basement and sexually abused her and now he wants to be the governor of Mississippi? Uh, Greitens. Greitens. Uh, running for governor oh, or, of Missouri. But I would have a baseball card of him and you'd be like, hey, check out Scott uh, Desjardins. He's the one who tried to encourage his mistress to have an abortion. It's impossible to keep track of all these chuckle fucks. There's just no, the, the, the hypocrisy is bottomless. So, okay, so stepping out of our spiral abyss, like, do you have a sense of what the most effective way to fight back is? Are advocates pushing, you know, packing the court, federal legislation, state legislation, all of the above? I mean, the, the task in front of us is so immense that unless we break it down into pieces, it's going to feel overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Um, people need to engage in the local and state level with um, with laws because a lot of this stuff gets snuck in at the state level. For years and years, uh, anti-abortion activists were trying to sneak things into South Dakota, mm -hmm. just trying over and over again to pass like nutty bans, yeah. nutty bans. And then that would make its way up through the court system and then get slapped down, but they were always playing the long game with right. when it comes to this. Um, I think that we need to focus on state and local politics more. I think we need to, to focus on national politics around this less. Uh, and, and I realize the uh, irony in saying that on a show that is about no, no, no. national politics. Yeah, I but I think like what what the U.S. Congress can do and what the Senate can do and what, can, what the president can do around it is much less 
immediately effective in the lives of more people. You know, it's it's more effective to to deal with states and local governments. Um, I also think that it's really important for uh, women who this matters to um, to run for something, mm-hmm. uh, not just vote. Like run, we have to start running for stuff. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, I think, got her first elected office at 49, 47 or 49 years old. So women over 40, it's not too late to. (laughs) She did pretty well. Yeah, she's done okay. (laughs) She's done okay. I think we need to start thinking about running for things. I think we need to speak up. I think we need to be honest about the role of abortion in the lives of a lot of people who went on to choose to have families later. Um, and I think that we have to be as serious and annoying as about this as conservatives have been. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I mean, that's it. Just We're going to just have to be a pain in the ass for the rest of our lives. <laughs> that last point you make, I think, is a, is a real thing that I don't know that a lot of people understand. It's like, if you are our age, you probably think that there has been this right-wing, conservative, anti-choice movement in this country forever. And the truth is, it's a pretty recent thing. It's sort of like new right Reagan era, right. super religious abortion as the the issue that motivates them. That's like a 70s, 80s thing, right? Like So yeah. the, in, in for our side, two thirds of Americans don't think that Roe versus Wade should be overturned. Yeah. Right. We have public opinion. Two thirds of Americans think that a current abortion laws are too strict. So it just becomes like, okay, how do we turn that that overwhelming opinion into political action. And that's easier said than done, but it's hopeful. Yeah. I mean, you also have to think about the distribution of those people. I think this yeah, is true. this that's is right. half of a joke, but it's actually half serious. Um, people who live in expensive cities, go ahead and open Zillow on your phone. Take a look at Fargo, North Dakota. Mm. I think it's a nice city. Mm-hmm. Fargo, North Dakota is a nice city. Yeah, yeah. And I will accept I'll no detractors of Fargo. It's got a cute downtown, good bones, pretty houses. You can afford to live like a king in Fargo. We need to mass migrate to smaller American Wyoming. cities. Wyoming. We could turn Montana. that place so fast. Montana's on its way. It's on its way. What about, well, how are you feeling about Wisconsin? Oh, I think Wisconsin just needs the, just needs more people who care to do more stuff. Okay. I th- there are a lot of people who care who do a lot, um, but I think there's just, right now, the seesaw is not in a good spot. Yeah, not in a good spot. Also, you know, all these places you're talking about, I bet they have lower taxes than wherever you live currently. Yeah, lower Liberal taxes. audience. Cheaper costs of living. Um, you know, sometimes the public schools need to, you know, leave a little to be desired. But you can go, to, you know, be the change. No, it's I'm half joking. But I think that at, as, for school board. as it stands right now, the, the majority of the two-thirds of Americans who support Roe most ardently are major cities like um, L.A. L.A. has 10 million people in it, which is bigger than most states. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I just think that right now it's we're sort of behind the eight ball um, until the ideology gets a more equitable national distribution. I think it'll be hard to win on it in elections. Yeah, the Senate sucks. Yeah, um, so bad. So bad. What a I, dumb idea. What a dumb idea. You are right, though. I mean, savvy people, you, Alyssa, a lot of your listeners, like, I think, saw the writing on the wall in 2018. I do wonder if there will be a moment where, you know, I mean, maybe the the last Supreme Court ruling should have been that moment, but maybe mm-hmm. the Mississippi uh, ruling, if it goes the wrong direction and further eliminates the the right to choose, maybe that will wake people up. I don't know. Yeah. And then we'll have to rename Hysteria Cassandra because <laughs> we were right. People didn't listen. All along. All along. Yeah. Okay. 
We are going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we will hear my interview with MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan about the war between Russia and Ukraine, uh, the treatment of refugees, the coverage, and how we can use moments like this where we're talking about foreign policy and focus on it in a real way to also talk about U.S. foreign policy and mistakes we've made and how to do things better. So stick around for that. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. I am thrilled to welcome back to Pod Save America, my friend, Mehdi Hassan. He is uh, known as one of the toughest interviewers in the business, so I'm a little nervous right now, but he, uh, you can also catch him on Sunday night at 8 p.m. on MSNBC and on Monday through Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. Mehdi, thank you so much for doing the show. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Good to be here. It's great to have you back. Um, so... The reason I wanted to to bring you on and talk with you today, because you and I started a Twitter conversation yesterday, and then I thought to myself, what are you doing, Tommy? N- nothing good ever happens on this place. And I thought you and I could maybe <laughs> model as human beings. Wise words. Yeah, how to have a conversation about a war and U.S. foreign policy and in a way that's actually productive. Um, and it's something I think you're uniquely good at. So, you know, where I'm coming from, you know, we were talking about Ukraine and Russia today. All of us are horrified by this war. It's clear that what's happening is a war of choice. It's been made by one man, Vladimir Putin, who is lying and he's indiscriminately killing civilians. It's horrific stuff. There's there's no question about who is the aggressor here. Um, But I do think that when you see suffering like this and when there's an acute focus on Ukraine, Russia, NATO, whatever, it does give us a window to talk about the thing we control, which is U.S. foreign policy uh, and what the international community might have done to try and prevent something this awful from happening again or prevent it in the first place. Um, and so interestingly, Mehdi, there's sort of two different versions of this conversation. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not spilling out on Twitter. One is the suggestion that the West appeased Putin for so long uh, and that if we'd stood up to him earlier, he wouldn't be in Ukraine right now. The other version is maybe NATO expansion was too aggressive. Uh, you know, Back in the day, it was actually controversial to want to expand NATO past East yep. Germany. Uh, and then in 2008, you start talking about including Ukraine, Georgia, you know, Balkan states have been added, right? So the, the conversation shifted over time. So with the caveat that none of this justifies what Putin is doing, and neither of us is arguing otherwise, how do you think we talk about or try to learn from what's happening today and, and prevent civilian casualties and wars from the future in the future? Yeah. It's a great question. It's a big question. I would start off with a few more caveats. Uh, Number one, I would say that we're all horrified by the suffering on the ground uh, in Ukraine and nothing takes away from that suffering. And I think uh, what it reminds me when I see what's going on is the number one, uh, uh, one of the number one issues that's motivated me as a journalist and as a human being over the last 20, 30 years is war is hell. And anyone who says otherwise is bonkers. And, you know, one of the reasons I've taken some of the political stances I've taken over the years is because I think too many people uh, think war is a video game, think war is something that makes us feel good. Uh, War is a uh, tool of diplomacy and international relations and foreign policy. And I just think, you know what, you see those kids running across the border, you see those kids uh, arriving in train stations in Berlin and in Hungary. And you think this is what war is. This is a reality which many of us, thankfully, will never have to experience uh, firsthand. So that's the first point, which is yeah. war is hell. That's, yeah. That has to underlie everything. 
Um, and then how do we get to wars? How do we avoid wars? How do we end wars? Huge issues, huge questions. And I think one of the problems we have right now is social media, to go back to your point about Twitter and the health site that is Twitter, which I love to hate and hate to love, uh, is that it brings out the worst in a lot of people when crises are happening. And I think we, we fall back into our tribes, we fall back into our groups, we try and score points, uh, dunk on people. I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think the problem is then you lose a lot of analysis, you get into a lot of bad faith discussions. I think the good faith discussion that we need to have is that there are multiple reasons why people go to war. There are multiple reasons why wars are started and multiple ways in which they can be ended. It's complicated. It's not easy. Anyone who thinks they have the silver bullet on either side of the spectrum, as you pointed out, anyone who thinks this is all because we appeased Putin or this is all because NATO expanded, it, that's BS. Right? It's, just, it's just blatantly not the case. And I think we need to be a little bit more humble when we look at foreign policy crises like this. We in America in particular, who have messed up in so many foreign policy crises, so mm -hmm. many wars, you know, I see people saying, I see people online making the most definitive sweeping statements about Putin or Ukraine or the left, whatever it is. So some of them are the people who were not just wrong 10, 20 years ago, were wrong like last summer right. uh, about things like Afghanistan. So we need some humility all the way around. And I think we need to find a way to talk about this, which is not in a kind of point scoring. Or one thing that's frustrated me, Tom, I'm going to say this is the outset. Please. Anytime you try and talk about anything other than Ukraine, somebody shouts, what about ism? I've right. got that a lot. It's the most, you know, I feel like it's the most popular word on social media right now. To be clear, and I had to say this in a tweet, just for people listening, whataboutism is when I say, let's not talk about case X, let's talk about case Y. Let's excuse case X uh, by talking about how bad case Y is. Forget case X, what about case Y? It is an attempt to deflect from or distract from case X or justify case X by looking at case Y. That is wrong. That is not what a lot of us are doing. Some people are doing that in bad faith, including the Russians. Um, I think what those of us in good faith are trying to do, and my colleague Eamon Moyuddin and I had this conversation on our shows on Sunday night, which is we're trying to say, let's work on case Y so that we have more credibility to deal with case X. Mm -hmm. Let's have consistency. Let me make a, a real world example of that. Right now, there's talk of having Vladimir Putin dragged before an international tribunal having the Russians tried for war crimes. That would be at the International Criminal Court, ideally, but Russia's not a signatory to that. And guess who else isn't? We're not signatories right, to the Rome Statute. How about we sign the Rome Statute? That's not whataboutism to point that out. That's saying we would be in a much better position to hold Russia to account if we were party to the International Criminal Court. The ban on cluster munitions brought in in 2010, that's something that Russia has not signed and is allegedly using cluster munitions in Ukraine. They deny it. But journalists, human rights workers have identified cluster munitions. Again, America did not sign, has not signed the Convention on Cluster Munitions. Wouldn't it give us greater credibility to condemn U Russia's behavior in Ukraine if we were party to that? Yeah. So I think when we talk about these things that we could be doing better on, when we talk about other parts of the world where we've done bad things, as long as it's not a distraction, as long as it's part of an actual argument to hold Russia to account, to prevent wars like this, I think it's an important part of the conversation. And it frustrates me that a lot of people are using whataboutism to shut down any kind of moral discussion about what we could be doing better. Yeah, there should be a moral discussion. And just for, for listeners who don't know, a cluster musician is basically a big bomb that breaks into lots of little bombs. And then those sometimes explode. And sometimes they sit around for years until some little kid picks it up and then it explodes. So it's just a okay. horrific tool of war that indiscriminately kills civilians. You know, Matty, the other thing that kind of worries me is like even a good faith conversation about what the West or the U.S. could or could not have done differently. Um, it does something that 
always worries me, which is puts the United States at the center of almost every problem. And then we end up assuming that all problems are ones that we could have prevented or that we could solve. And the the latter formulation, you know, look, I I think we should look back in history and and question every decision that's ever been made. What I worry about a little bit is is what's going to happen going forward, because there is clearly a lot of momentum right now towards sanctioning Russian oil and gas. Um, The calls for a no-fly zone have so far um, been shut down by both Republicans and Democrats, but I don't know. They're going to grow, and they're going to grow even more when you see videos of innocent families trying to escape Ukraine in in so-called humanitarian corridors that are getting bombed. Um, When you, I mean, you you came from the UK. You've you know you actually report on more foreign policy issues than than most journalists I know. How do you think about the limits on U.S. power? Uh, and you know, that, that constant challenge of thinking about like, okay, where are we going to do more harm than good? Uh, It's a great question about the limits on American power. What we are seeing right now is the limits on American power. We cannot engage in a direct hot war with Russia because Russia is a nuclear armed nation. It's the biggest nuclear stockpile on the planet. This is not Iraq. This is not Libya. This is not Afghanistan. This is not Somalia or the tribal areas of Pakistan that you can just send a few drones and kill people. Maybe they're terrorists, maybe they're not. This is a very different ballgame. And I think a lot of Americans have been slow to react to that. We're not used to that. A lot of There's a whole generation of people who doesn't remember the Cold War, that doesn't quite get what a no-fly zone is. There was that poll the other day, Tommy, 74% of Americans said they support a no-fly zone. And I kind of joked online saying, how many of them actually understand what a no-fly Zero. zone is out of that 74%? Uh, it's interesting, in the UK, when they polled the British public last week, but the polling company explained what a no-fly zone would entail shooting down Russian aircraft, maybe taking out anti-aircraft defenses on the Russians. It was actually a plurality of voters said, no, we mm. don't want a no-fly zone. So it's interesting when pollsters do a bit more uh, work in unpacking the question. But yes, you know, the limits of American power are very clear to people. To Joe Biden, a man who's been on the scene for several decades, uh, former chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, the man who was around during the Cold War when you and I were kids or not even born, he understands that you cannot escalate this into a hot war with Russia. And I think that's an important point for us to understand in terms of the limits of power. We have to live in the world as it is, not as we want it to be. So when we say, well, this shouldn't, Russia shouldn't be allowed to do this stuff. Well, shouldn't be allowed by who? There is no world police. And if, you know, this is what my slight frustration was in, in the run up to this conflict, which was on the one hand, we were saying to the Ukrainians, you know, stand up for yourselves. Don't let Russians bully you. But then are we going to stand up? For you? No, we're not going to fight. We're not right. going to fight. Right. So it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird situation there. Um, and I understand all the reasons behind that. And I think the limits of American power are very important to acknowledge. I think you're right to say that there is a faction of people that wants to blame America for everything. It's interesting. It used to be the Noam Chomsky left that was accused of doing that. <laughs> right. And yet right now, Noam Chomsky came out with a very blunt statement saying, that the Russian invasion is inexcusable. There's no justification. It's a war crime. It's on a par with Hitler's invasion of Poland. And yet you have the Candace Owenses of this world and the MAGA right saying it's America's to blame for this. So I find that quite ironic now that it's actually the right or the far right that's doing the America's to blame for everything. Look, I agree with you. America is not responsible for every problem in the world. Of course not. Uh, in some areas, we are the main driver of the problems. Sure. Uh, sure. Partly in the Middle East. And a lot of Middle East crises, yeah, yeah we yeah, are at the yeah. center of it. But even not all Middle East crises. Take Syria, for example. The Syrian revolution was a lot of kids rising up uh, against Assad as part of the Arab Spring, as part of multiple countries. Uh, Assad cracked down on that. Long story short, it turned into a civil war, turned into an insurgency. Some of the rebel groups we then got involved in were awful. And I was one of those who opposed arming those groups. I got attacked as an Assad stooge for saying that. 
So this is the problem. So Syria is an example of where the limits of American power, we weren't going to go in and topple Bashar al-Assad after the craziness of Iraq. And what we thought we could do on the side, some of us would argue, made things worse in some ways. And I look at Ukraine and I hope, God God forbid, it turns into another Syria. People are talking about prolonged insurgency, uh, if a Russian occupation. You know, what we do know about insurgencies is whether they're successful or not, in the end, the civilian population suffers massively. That's right. So that in Afghanistan, we see it in places like Kashmir, uh, it's horrific. No one should want that as a, any kind of ideal outcome or scenario. And I think, look, when we look at the American role in this, I think that we can't blame America for everything, obviously. I think what we can do is, as I mentioned a moment ago, is what can we do to make things better at the margins? What can we do to change the ways we do things now? I'll give another example. Refugees, a point I right. made on my MSNBC show on Sunday night. We can't solve the Ukrainian refugee crisis on our own. Not at all. Europe can't even do it on its own. 1.7 million people uh, at the time we're speaking have fled their homes, crossed the border. It's the fastest growing refugee crisis in the history, in the modern history of Europe. You have to go back to World War II for this kind of speed. To put it in context for your listeners, in 2015, 1.3 million people at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis applied for asylum in the EU. That's across the course of 2015. This is 1.7 million in the course of 12 days. So it's massive. What do we do about that? Well, you know, one thing we could do is not just give Ukrainians temporary status, as Biden has done, not just take in more Ukrainians proportionately than other countries, but we can actually change our refugee policy as a whole. Our refugee policy has been shameful, even under Joe Biden, record low numbers. Uh, Look at Title 42 at the border. I'm not sure how we can sit and lecture countries in Europe about the need to take in Ukrainian refugees while we keep a Trump-era rule called Title 42, a Stephen Miller special, which basically blocks all asylum claims at our southern border right now. It's yeah. disgusting. That can't be in place while we lecture the rest of the world on the need to take in Ukrainian refugees. Look, I mean, point taken. Setting aside Title 42, though, I mean, look, you know, over a million refugees have, have left. It's a, Ukraine is, what, 40, 44 million people? So, you know, you're likely to see that number double, triple, quadruple. Yeah. We will see. You're right. I mean, the one area where we have the most power, the most control is our ability to help refugees. Really, the only limit is political will. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, like having been in government, you want to create and, and you know, build support for policies or things you're doing to help people humanitarian relief, right? You want stories about how the American taxpayer is helping this innocent kid. So you feel good about the money you're spending as a person at home watching your show uh, on, on Peacock, right? Um, I'm also, though, very mindful of the fact, and I'm, I'm listening to people who are saying, okay, you know, we are seeing this heartwarming treatment of Ukrainian refugees, uh, but we didn't necessarily see as, as heartwarming a treatment of Syrian refugees or Afghan refugees, or frankly, like white yeah. refugees versus black and brown 100%. refugees, Christian refugees versus Muslim refugees. And I'm trying to think about how to have a conversation about that that raises that inequity, that tries to get us to do better, but that keeps people like wanting to be a part of this broader effort to help people who are suffering, right? Because like that is the acute need. It's just like getting everyone to realize that you need to help out personally, like give some money, vote for people yeah. who support refugees. Like how are, you, how are you thinking about that? I mean, you're right to raise that. It's something I raised a couple of weeks ago when this thing was kicking off, that the rhetoric right from the beginning, we saw it from certain reporters at media organizations. We've seen it from governments. I mean, the Bulgarian prime minister said it very openly. These are not the same as the people from Syria. These are people who look like us. Uh, These are Europeans. Uh, We saw it in the Spanish parliament with the leader of the Vox party saying, these are not invaders like the ones from the Middle East. 
Um, so they haven't, you know, they're not hiding the double standards. I don't know if you saw the Danish government has a very, uh, has a rather disgusting law, which is called the jewelry law, which they brought in for Syrian asylum seekers, which is anyone who comes from the Middle East during 2015, 16, 17, 18, had to sell any jewelry or valuables they had to pay for their asylum claim. Wow, come on. Uh, kind of sick stuff. And guess what? This week they've said it won't apply to Ukrainians. Wow. wonder why. How come Ukrainians don't have to sell their jewelry? Um, so the double standards are there. They're blatant. You're right. How do we solve that issue? I mean, I don't think we can solve that issue unless we have the broader discussion about race that no one in this country seems to want to have these days because it does fundamentally come back to, you know, if you want to ask why it is that we can take in Ukrainian refugees and not Syrian refugees or Afghan refugees. The, the reason is very simple, because the Islamophobic climate in this country that was uh, fueled for the past 20 years, both by a combination of terrorist attacks by terrorist groups and right-wing politicians and some liberal politicians fueling Islamophobic myth, is that we think brown people are secret terrorists. They're coming here to kill us or rape our women. Those are the tropes that exist even in the liberal parts of the liberal imagination. And therefore, it's, there's no easy fix to say, well, we need to treat these people all the same. No, we can't, because there are years, there's years of propaganda has gone into demonizing refugees from brown places. That's the key point, right? Early on in the Syrian refugee crisis, there were Greek fishermen who dropped everything to go save lives, literally took their boats out, stopped doing what they're doing, saved so many people that they were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. A decade later, we read about those same fishermen pushing those boats full of refugees back into the water, right? Like horrifying, completely. So and what I'm saying is, we have a chance. We have a chance to try to do something and, and, and you know intervene and change policies or approve it or support these efforts in in the first instance, while people are still feeling hopeful and caring and optimistic. And like the demagogues have not had the chance to rally support yeah. around you know the latter view of the world. And I'm just like trying to think through how to do that while we have this moment. I mean, the word another word that people don't want to hear because it's too woke is intersectionality. I mean, how do we talk about how do we bring together different crises, different groups of people and say, actually, these are shared struggles. Yeah. These are common struggles. These are common fights. And the villains in each case are very similar. And I think that's why I've mentioned Turtle 42, because you right. might say, oh, what about us and blah, blah. No, it is. If we're going to talk about borders and refugees, we have to start at home. And at home, this is one of the vile things that we are doing with refugees that we could help on our border. So I think it is important that we draw those connections and say, you know, yes, you are, you are, your heart is bleeding, rightly so, looking at the images of Ukrainian fathers having to stay behind and fight and saying goodbye to their wives and kids on buses and sending them across the border into Poland. Horrific scenes. What do we do with that anger, that upset, that sorrow, that solidarity? Because as you say, the reality is political will is how much refugees we can take in. The reality is Ukrainians are pretty far away, relatively speaking. They are going to go to the first countries, the neighboring countries. But, you know, we've got people in our own backyard, quote unquote, who are fleeing conflicts and violence who we don't help. So I would draw that connection. Yeah. And you're right. We need to have the conversation about propaganda. You made the good point about how things can quickly change. Even Afghans, Tommy, like a lot yeah. of the Afghans last summer had a lot of sympathy because they were seen as good Afghans who helped NATO and helped the American military. Why are we not supporting them? But that was very quickly weaponized by the Fox News of this world to talk about, well, what if, what if terrorists come in, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it is, you know, unfortunately, and I hate saying this because all conversations come back to this, those of us who are on the progressive end of the political spectrum, those of us who want to do more good in the world, who want to have a more, you know, uh, ambitious political moral imagination, always come up against the fact that our opponents have a really well-funded and well-organized propaganda machine. Yeah, yeah. I like that I invite you on to ask you the most difficult, uh, biggest picture questions I could possibly think of. Um, 
Last one. because how, how do we stop nuclear war? Well, <laughs> yeah, how do we stop nuclear war? I mean, seriously, the nuclear issue is the most worrying issue. It is. The, yeah, people use that cliche of keep you up at night, like literally keep you up at night. It should keep you up at night. No, I mean, look, I mean, I think if you're Joe Biden, you are probably thinking that the greatest good you could do, the way you could help the most people or prevent the most suffering is by preventing a nuclear war. It, that That's just the case here. Um, but, you know, sort of in the near term, Biden is reportedly debating whether to visit Saudi Arabia to basically get Mohammed bin Salman, the sociopathic uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia, to increase global oil supply. Uh, he reportedly sent a delegation to Venezuela over the weekend to potentially talk about sanctions relief for Venezuela and get more Venezuelan oil on the market. Um, regardless of what happens with Russia, I actually think that the U.S. should be rethinking sanctions towards Venezuela because talk about sanctions that have harmed the civilian population and not led to changes in the government. I mean, I think that that's just a fail, failed effort. But um, the Saudi visit and dealing with Mohammed bin Salman is a tough pill to swallow. I know it is for you as well. But, you know, look, you, there, there's that priority. There's the fact that this guy's a sociopath. And there's also the reality that gas prices are high. They're going to get higher. Um, it could hurt consumers. It could destroy Biden's chance of getting reelected. How do you, what's your reaction to this news that we might be going hat in hand to the Saudis once again? I mean, on the domestic political front, it's interesting you had Joe Manchin, our kind of coal supporting uh, Democrat in name only senator saying over the weekend, you know, oh, I think Americans would be willing to pay more for gas to, yeah, sure to you know, stand with Ukraine, um, which is funny because his whole platform was to fight against inflation. Apparently, he killed every progressive bill on earth to fight against inflation. Now he's like, inflation, it's fine. If it's, it's also fighting bullshit. Russia. <laughs> Such yeah. bullshit. Uh, it is bullshit. And I think, you know, I would love in theory to be in a world where we say, yeah, we will pay gas, high gas prices to not have to import oil from Russia or Saudi Arabia. Um, before I get to Saudi, just a point you made about Venezuela. You're right. The suffering in Venezuela is massive. Again, we could talk about is America to blame? Maduro has to take a huge uh, share of responsibility, but America has to take responsibility also for some of its misguided policies, both towards Venezuela and the wider Central American world. Um, but people shouldn't, collective punishment is not something I support. I've seen a lot of people tweeting recently, sensible, smart people say, well, it's the Russian public. They're behind Putin, so they should suffer. The American public was behind the war in Iraq at one point. Does that mean the ordinary Americans should suffer? I mean, that's a horrible road to go down when mm -hmm. you start blaming innocent people, especially people who've been brainwashed by state-run media right. uh, for their actions of, of governments who break the law. And Venezuelans have been suffering. And I think ending suffering is the key. Uh, and Russians now, my big worry, Tommy, is that our sanctions on Russia, while you can justify them just from a practical point of view, what if they are counterproductive? What if they lead to a Russian public that is more nationalistic, more anti-Western, more aggressive, replaces yeah. Putin with right. an even more nationalist anti-Western leader? When we talk about the grievance of NATO, I mean, this is going to be a whole new series of grievances. And very quickly, I've got to say while I'm on the show with you, Please. the whole NATO debate, very quick, we haven't talked about this. There are people saying it's all to do with NATO. There are people who say it's nothing to do with NATO. Sorry to be the boring person and say, I'm in the middle. It's crazy to say that Putin is fighting Russia now because of NATO. That's ridiculous. He's fighting because he's Vladimir Putin. But to say NATO has nothing to do with why we're here at this point is also completely yeah. ahistorical and just silly. Yeah, we should so be want to dispatch with that. Yeah, yeah. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I I am someone who has a lot of problems with our relationship with Saudi Arabia. But I'm old enough to remember when Joe Biden stood on the debate stage and said, I will turn Saudi Arabia into a pariah. And instead, now there's talk of him going hat in hand, although I believe Jen Psaki denied there are plans to do that, but that's what Axios was reporting on Sunday. Um, I mean, for me, again, sorry to boil this down, big, big geopolitical questions to very simple moral principles, but the idea that we say we're gonna stop importing Russian oil because Russia is bombing Ukraine, but we're gonna substitute it 
with Saudi oil while Saudi is bombing Yemen, something I'm not allowed to mention. Because if I mention Yemen, people say, like, what about ism? It's not what about ism. There's a war going on in Yemen right now. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop because Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. We should be able to focus on more than one thing at a time. And I don't think we should be giving MBS a pass for what is happening in Yemen, nor should we have given him a pass for what he did to Jamal Khashoggi. So I think we need to reevaluate our entire relationship with Saudi Arabia. You still have puff pieces of, about MBS appearing in the US media. I find it bizarre that this debate right now about Russian oil is not provoking more discussion about climate change, renewable energy, some of the stuff that Joe Manchin killed in some of that Build Back Better bill. Uh, this is a reminder that we shouldn't be reliant on any foreign oil, not just Russian oil, but foreign oil from a lot of autoc- autocrats and autocracies, because that's unfortunately where a lot of the oil tends to be. How about we use this, again, to go back to my point right when the interview began, to try and use this crisis to do something good at home and fix something we haven't fixed at home, which is our reliance on foreign oil. Yeah, look, in a, in a rational world, uh, this would jumpstart in a big way our investment in renewables. It might also jumpstart uh, a rethinking or a relook at nuclear power, although uh, the Russian attack on a nuclear power plant showed the yes. uh, downside risk there as yes. well. Um, that said, in the near term, if I was like a uh, like hack political advisor in the White House right now, or any political advisor in the White House, not a hack, I don't mean to insult them, I would be saying to Joe Biden, the number one threat to your reelection is oil prices, and we have to do everything we can to get them down. I would love to say, though, that the path to doing that would be to get back into the Iran nuclear deal and get a bunch of Iranian oil back onto the markets, although I know that would be controversial as well. But well, the Iranian nuclear deal could now be a, a, a consequence, could now be a cost to this Russian invasion, too, because yeah. without the Russians at the table, without Russians doing that deal, that could be gone, too. And then we could be talking about nuclear. I mean, there's so there's so much fallout. Yep. from this ridiculous man in Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. It's hard to it's hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify. And uh, the real challenge is ahead of us, especially when it comes to global food prices, wheat shortages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mehdi, I, uh, I really appreciate you giving me so much time today. I know uh, you're a busy man. And uh, thank you again. But everyone should check out your show on MSNBC and on Peacock. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fantastic show. And it's also you cover international stories that a lot of people don't cover. And I always really appreciate that about you. So thank you. Appreciate that. And, you know, it's times like this when you're, you're reminded why we cover those international stories in the quiet times, because when it gets busy like now, uh, you kind of understand how we are all interconnected. Right. One thing I would just one last thing I'd say to your listeners is let us use this crisis to think about how we could be better, how we can change things about the way we do things rather than just retreating into a kind of jingoistic rah, 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 West versus Russia bubble. That would be the worst road to go down. Yeah. Uh, let's not like do the freedom fries thing and, and you know, you know, start bomb like what if someone like smashed up russia house a bar in dc like that's not gonna help us guys ridiculous yeah let's not do that okay Matty, thank you, thanks tommy thanks my friend you can start your day off right when you find a professional on angie to get your plumbing right first connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well visit angie.com you can do this when you angie that okay Aaron uh, it's been a serious episode talking about serious stuff yeah so we want to close out the show by talking about something very stupid which is the ongoing battle between Republicans and technology there's a two-part war two fronts if you will the first one is being fought on Zoom. So over the weekend, President Zelensky, uh, again, the president of Ukraine, he's holding a video conference with members of Congress, 
to literally ask for military aid, literally from his bunker in a war zone. Mm -hmm. And he had to stop his presentation and ask Republican Senator Rick Scott to mute his mic. Part one of this story. Part two (laughs) was then Senators Marco Rubio and Steve Daines tweeted out screenshots of Zelensky during the video conference, despite specifically being told not to by Oksana Markorova, the uh, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., so for security reasons. I guess my question is, we've been doing Zoom for like two years. Like, You can't figure out mute, Rick Scott? I mean... Mute? Yeah, yeah. Also, like, um, I just wish one of them would have turned into a cat. That would have been oh, the, a little like, bit. Oh, like yeah, the ears? I'm not a cat, you know. Oh, a filter would have been fine. That would have been great. Uh, but I do want to thank President Zelensky, to, or whoever runs against Rick Scott for Senate, should thank President Zelensky for that incredible soundbite. Can you please mute, sir? Yeah. Rick, Rick. Exactly. Just just beautiful. Put it over a put it over an ad of Rick Scott looking like a googly-eyed goon, which he is. Oh, he is really googly. I mean, also like another thought I had. Like you if you walked in here said gun to the head, uh describe what Rick Danes looks like. Steve Danes, sorry. Oh, Rick Danes, I was picturing like a NASCAR driver, but Steve. <laughs> I was uh. thinking like Rick Flair. Yeah. Um I'm a goner. In that scenario, I wonder if there's a chance that he's uh, a made-up identity and it was just Vladimir Putin on the call. Your thoughts? Possibly, but have you ever seen that website? This person does not exist. Mm-mm. Okay, after we get done recording, I'm going to show you. It's okay. it's all computer-generated faces of oh. people that don't actually exist. I think Steve Danes may be one of those. I people. love that. Just AI faces. AI faces, and they look real unless you look at their ears, and you can tell it's something. As it's well. always the ears. Why is it the ears? I don't know. I don't either. I think yeah, the AI just kind of gets <laughs> fucked up on ears. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe but, Elon but, Musk is wrong. Well, we check out Steve Danes's ears. Any okay. any constituents of Steve Danes? Because if they're fucked up, he's not real. He's not real. That's that's a good tip. Jake Tapper interviewed Marco Rubio on Sunday, and he asked him about his tweet and like why he tweeted a picture of Zelensky when the Ukrainian ambassador said, "Please don't do this for security purposes." And Marco said. Well, first of all, she said that like 30 minutes into the call after I'd already done it. Which is <laughs> like, so funny to me because he thinks that like, <laughs> maybe ask first. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think, okay, on one hand, you know, these elected officials love to talk about how important they are and how they're in these important briefings and ostensibly taking in this very sensitive and important mm-hmm. information. Um, and that's why we spend our tax dollars, like, making sure they're protected and right, safe. Right. You know, Security and stuff. But also, like, does Marco Rubio listen ever? Does he? Is he just sitting there drawing that unending, like, S chain thing that we all <laughs> drew in middle school instead of paying attention? Yeah. Is he practicing his signature like he's an NBA player? He, he's the Republican head of the Intelligence Committee. Too. Like he would think he would just think maybe, maybe don't tweet this one. Right. I mean, you know, look, it's ironic for me to be making fun of him. I am, my notes are a printed out email. <laughs> I like that. Um, which is ironic. But I admit my tech shortcomings. I'm not going to try to like do some crazy tech thing. Also, like these guys, of course they're going to. Of course, they're going to tweet out a picture of the Ukrainian president because they want to feel like big shots. Mm-hmm. And that is at the root of all of their actions politically. They just want to be fucking big shots. Yeah, they got to be in the middle of the story. It's it's deeply annoying. Th- this story made me think about in 2008, we ran this TV ad that was like, John McCain doesn't know how to use a computer. John <laughs> McCain doesn't know how to use email. And it was a not remotely 
subtle attempt to call him really too old for the job. Sure. And like over the years, there's been some things in politics I regretted and some I didn't. I always kind of was like, I wish we could have had that one back. It was a little petty. Mm -hmm. This is making me rethink it. I kind of think there should be like a proficiency exam for technology. Yeah. Period. For lawmakers. You should have to have a license to use Twitter. Yes. If you if you have a blue check, you gotta pass your exam and renew it every year, like a like an old man with bifocals. You gotta keep passing. Right. Yeah. Or else you're gonna just be tweeting RT if you agree all day long, and like everyone's gonna hate you. Yeah. Exactly. I know so many people. I don't know if this is true for you, that I like worked with or was friends with, who I just wa- have watched lose their minds on Twitter, just become the worst versions of themselves. I'm like, I know you're. This broke you. It really did in a real right. way. It's a misery machine. Yeah. It's it's a real misery machine. I've been trying to use it less because me too. Uh, it makes me sad and TikTok has dancing on it, <laughs> um, which is, you know, like, which one am I going to pick? Obviously, TikTok. I'm going to pick the dancing, the dancing one. Yeah. And people that being funny and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, it just I think it really brings out the worst in people and it makes you think that your world is so small that it fits into your hand and this is your whole world and the responses you're getting this is how people feel about you and it can be that if you spend all your time in it mm-hmm. but you're opting to spend all your time in it you're opting to become a tiny little twitter man and you don't have to no, you, you can you can put your phone away and do other things and no one will miss you nobody misses anybody who goes no. off twitter no i'm a- always like good for them or like good fuck you like <laughs> yeah, you know? know it's the world's smallest lamest chat room the, just the juxtaposition of these silly senators taking photos of their laptops while zelensky's like in a t-shirt like begging for stinger missiles in a war zone it just like couldn't be yeah, Couldn't they're weenies. That was like the most, it's such a weenie move. <laughs> um, the other technology story that, that caught our eye was um, Donald Trump is having some tech problems. You may have missed it, Aaron, because I kind of did. Donald Trump rolled out his own social media site for like MAGA types. It's called Truth Social. It apparently went live on February 21st, huh. but I guess it was a soft launch because there's, I guess, a waiting list and like hundreds of thousands of people are kind of stuck on it. And so Ruby Kramer from Politico, who's a very funny, very dry reporter, wrote a piece a couple of days ago about how she finally got an invite to the site, like 11 days in. She makes an account. She goes on. She's like looking for engagement. And it's just a ghost town. No one is on it. Mm-hmm. Who's the social media guy who was like his golf caddy? Oh, yeah. I, rem- I can picture his red, red face, but I forget <laughs> yeah. his name. But I know who you're talking about. That guy is posting a lot, but like Donald Trump's not even on it. No one. Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino. Um, question. Do you think it was a mistake for Donald Trump to put famously stupid former congressman Devin Nunes in charge of his social media site? I am enjoying the show. Um I think Devin Nunes is is a real, real dumb idiot. And uh, since he left Congress, there has been a really heated battle for Congress's dumbest bitch. Mm. <laughs> um, it, there's the rankings change uh-huh. week to week. Yeah. It's, it's, who is, oh, is it Louis Gohmert? Is he the dumbest bitch uh, in Congress? He's up there. He might be. Is it Jim Jordan? Mm. Is he the dumbest bitch in he's Congress? He's got no jacket on ever. It's funny. Most of the dumbest bitches are men. They're all men. They're all, <laughs> they're all men. <laughs> well, you get some MTG. Where, I don't know where she lands. She did something. Uh, who even knows she's anymore. not. She's functionally a 
person who runs around yelling. She's not on any committee. She has nothing to do. She's not really functionally a congressperson. She just raises money. And you know why she's maybe not dumb is because she has managed to make all of us remember her name and yeah. get a lot of attention. And I don't remember anyone else's name, frankly. And so she's my, kind of beating all these clowns. My phone corrects her name to Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know M A D G no M A J O R I E Madjury I don't I've never used the word Madjury <laughs> so in my life my phone always does that auto like, the wrong thing to a name that isn't a name but anyway Devin Nunes uh, famous possible farmer because <laughs> it's not even been established that he really was a like that involved in his family's yeah. farm he's like allegedly a farmer um, one thing I really loved about Ruby Kramer's piece was. Uh, the, how she's kind of spelled out what this thing is. Mm-hmm. And it sort of reminded me of like Devin Nunes had a big report due and he didn't do any of the work. And then the very last minute, he just like copied the Wikipedia article <laughs> exactly and right. changed all the adjectives and then like rearranged some of the sentences uh-huh. because it's Twitter. Twitter. It's Twitter, but instead of tweet, it's truth. It's the truth. And re- t- retweet is re-truth. Re-truth. <laughs> re-truth thing. If you have any problem with speech, you cannot say that no fast. You have to. I have to pause. Re-truth. It's so silly. It is so aggressively silly. I know. I know it's so small, but these are the things I need right now. And like the Daily Beast had a story about how apparently Trump is like calling up his buddies and just shouting about how bad the website is. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true. She's I mean, no. surrounded by liars who lie to the news outlets, but I love it. Yeah, I love it too. I think that at some point, though, um, maybe somebody who is close to him can be convinced to just hand him a, a old style like phone receiver that's not connected to anything, mm. and be like, "This is your phone," <laughs> and then like put him in. And I like this was something that people would say when he was on Twitter, like give him a fake Twitter that he can just send ridiculous things off yeah. and be like, yep, you're sending tweets, Donnie. You're doing it. You're tweeting. But he's just like tweeting into nothing. So maybe this like truth social is the fake Twitter of, of everybody's dreams before he got kicked off. Oh, that's a good call. Um, SNL had a skit recently where they had the Fisher Price. skit. <laughs> <laughs> you know who hates it when you call them skits? Who? People who write the skits. Oh, what, what should I call them? Sketch. A short a sketch. sketch. Apologies. It's, a ske- it's sketch comedy. So it's these, not skit comedy. These, um, what's, what was that? The State? The that was a great sketch yeah. comedy show. Uh-huh. I yeah. want to dip my, anyway. Um, <laughs> they had a great sketch where they had the Fisher Price uh, podcast kit for white guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> And it's a full-on podcast kit where you can say whatever you want. You can rap all the lyrics of all your favorite songs, <laughs> but it doesn't record anything, so you don't get canceled. Yeah, yeah. It's I very mean, funny. That is essentially what this is for Donald Trump. Because right. who's going to be on a waiting list several hundred thousand people long unless it's like for an organ? For something good. Yeah, for yeah. an organ, for a liver. <laughs> for, a, for a front row seat tickets to Celine Dion's show in Vegas. I've heard my friends went. Uh, to my girlfriends here, they they both just wept the whole time. They said it was the best thing they'd ever seen. Absolutely weep. I would. I kind of want to see Katy Perry's show. I think. I think Riri um, Cheney went to see that. I would definitely hysteria, go. Hysteria panelist, Riri Cheney. Um, yeah. I I think that this is. Uh, I am enjoying the failure of Truth Social. I think one thing that maybe Donald Trump is realizing now is that, and this is kind of Shakespearean in mm-hmm. in how funny it is. Um, he's a person that that has always tried to do the thing that would get the most attention yep. and get people to to pay attention, you know, in the, the largest numbers tuning into him. But what is getting the most attention is his 
failures. Mm. People love to watch him fail, but he also hates to be a loser. So he has a kind of bittersweet choice to it's make. Tough. Like, do I keep failing on the, do I keep like belly flopping and, and getting attention for, for losing and have people tune in in droves because they love to see me suck? Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm a loser. Right. That is a conundrum. Yeah. Hey, that's tough. I mean, one serious thought or question I do have is you have these like so-called free speech platforms. You got Gab, you got Getter, you got Rumble. And I just really do wonder whether a literal echo chamber like that, where it's like, this is the MAGA platform for MAGA people. I mean, you're a you're similarly tortured by the internet. Like, can that exist? If there is no one to troll, can a site full of trolls exist happily? I just I wonder if all of these things aren't doomed to failure. No, it's like um, in The Lion King when the pride lands are taken over by the hyenas. Mm-hmm. It's essentially that. Like, what are they going to do? Like, there's no more food left. Who are they going to steal food from? Yeah, exactly. They're just going to turn on each other. Yeah, not Simba, not Nala. Nala is the the girl lion. She's the girl. Hannah's cat growing up was Nala. Oh, that's that's, why I remember that. That's cute. (laughs) That's cute cat. Um, Okay, well, that's all I had on on Republicans versus technology. I don't know if there's any stories I missed that you saw out there. No, no, but I, I do. I am enjoying Trump continuing to. I, you know, this truth social thing, I thought his app was launched several times ago. Me too. Me I'm like, too. oh, this is the app. Okay. And it's failing. Oh, this is the app. Okay. And oh, it's, it's still failing. failing. Okay. Uh, Love It did want me to bring up the time when um, Ted Cruz liked uh, incest porn, <laughs> I think. Some sort of weird porn on 9 11 on Twitter. On 9 Wait, it was on 9 11? It was on 9 11. Never forget, indeed. <laughs> oh man, uh, Ted Ted Cruz, I feel like has a kink, a, a wrongest wrongness kink. He loves to just be someone that people dislike. Well, back to your point about like loving to be seen sucking mm-hmm. and failing, mm-hmm. Ted Cruz. I mean, he just loves to just get humiliated. Yeah, yeah he really does. And, and you know, for you know all of the ways that Donald Trump's political career has. Uh, exceeded uh, Ted Cruz's. Ted Cruz is really maybe the, the model that mm-hmm. he's going to have to follow if he wants to continue to be in the public eye. Ugh. People will tune in to watch him fail. Bigly. 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 Well, that makes me sad. Um, okay. Well, I think that's all we got for today. Thank you, Aaron, Tom Brady, for <laughs> stepping in. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really enjoying Florida as much as it seems that I am. Yeah, just the taxes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's you did get drunk on margaritas and throw that trophy off a boat. <laughs> That one time. <laughs> you know what? He won me over. He won me over at the end of his career. Once he, and it was Belichick that I didn't like. I know. It was such a human moment. He's just absolutely plastered throwing trophies off a boat to Gronk, which is just so funny. He's earned it. He's yeah. truly earned it. Yeah. I wanted him to play till he was like 50 after yeah, it's that. It's just psychotic. Also, we won't talk about how the part of the story where Tom Brady replaces Drew Bledsoe and then Drew Bledsoe never really plays again. But, you know, John, John, feel better. We love you. Uh, thank you also to Mehdi Hassan for joining the show. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Madison Hallman, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.
you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 